This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for December 22nd, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. Today, we're recording together for the very first time here in Chicago, which is a little holiday gift to ourselves. On today's show, we've asked our listeners for their favorite moments of the year and the storylines they're following in 2016. Uh, we also attempt to cope with a wave of StarCraft retirements that have us sad about StarCraft. But first, we need to talk about our favorite moments of the year. And uh, Andrew, you know, when you, when you look at how this year has gone, when, when you look back across esports in 2015, uh, what are the, what's the first thing that sort of jumps out at you? Uh, well, the first thing that jumps out at me absolutely is uh the six million dollar echo slam from the international you know this was this was there for north american players in particular there was absolutely no better moment probably in the history of esports ever let alone this year like this was oh man if you missed this if you weren't following dota 2 at the time you need to go back you need to, to check out the we're going to have links to all of these things that we talk about this week uh in the forums with maybe hopefully maybe a little explanation of what everybody's going to be seeing in those things but this is this is the number one by far so this is the situation is it's evil geniuses uh, North America's Evil Geniuses versus China's CDEC team uh, in the final game of the International with a prize pool of $6 million on the line, or a, a first-place prize of $6 million on the line, a prize pool of $10 million. And CDEC, I believe, is down 2-1 uh, to one at the time in the series, and they've managed to get a pickoff. They've managed to pick off uh, the star player of Evil Geniuses, Sumail. And they've decided that this is their moment. They're going to do this, this risky play that Evil Geniuses has kind of been pulling on them throughout the series, which is they're going to dive into the Roshan pit, which gives you this... Um you defeat, it's, it's basically like League of Legends Baron, except it gives you this item where you uh, gain the ability to resurrect after you have it. It's called the Aegis of the Immortal. So they go in, they're trying to get this thing so that afterwards they can charge out of the pit, they'll have an advantage in the next team fight, and they can you know, basically take the game away from them. But Evil Geniuses makes this incredibly gutsy call. They're going to go in and they're going to fight CDEC four against five. But they have the perfect team to do it. They have just the perfect possible setup. So the two key players in this thing are going to be the characters Ancient Apparition and Earthshaker. And so the first thing, if you go back and watch this VOD, what you're going to see is you're going to see this little circle of, like, frost show up inside the Roshan pit. And that's this ability of Ancient Apparition, which slows everybody down and also amplifies the amount of magic damage they take by 30%. So everything that hits them is going to hit them 30% harder than I normally would have. So this is my question. This is I, I've heard some people, and I think I might even argue it myself, that it is an important moment and it is a huge moment in esports in 2015. Not necessarily a great play. And, my, and actually, this is the moment that makes me question it. Because CDEC can see that spell effect, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. they know, they basically know now that, like, there's a landmine in that, <laughs> in, in that, uh, in that pit. Yeah. And they go in anyway. So they're already in the pit when that spell goes down. And so what CDEC is thinking at the time is that that character is nearby and is just checking to see if they're in there. They're using that spell to gain a little bit of vision inside of the Roshan pit. And so it, they are not necessarily tipped off to what's going on, and I definitely don't think that they really understood the gravity of what was about to hit them, because the very next thing you see is Ancient Apparition's other giant spell come in, uh, which I believe is called Ice Blast, which is just this giant frost ball that just explodes all over them. And Ice Blast not only does a huge amount of magic damage, more because of the, the previously mentioned spell, but it also makes them, the, the characters, they're like brittle. If they get past like 15% HP, they just shatter and they die. And so then the second character blinks in, pulls off the Echo Slam. Earthshaker has the ultimate ability called the Echo Slam, which does hugely amplified damage to characters that are in a certain space. So if there's a lot of enemies clustered against each other, it's going to do extra, extra, extra damage. And all of them are in that space, so the, the damage is basically just ricocheting all of, off all of these characters, and the entire team just melts in the court in about five seconds. It's, it's unbelievable, and it changes the entire thing. Stadium loses its mind. Greatest moment probably in the history of esports. Certainly the greatest moment in North American esports, right? Because that, that is the moment yes. the victory is assured. Absolutely. That, like, this, this is not going to slip away this time. So it's not only that. It's more than that to me. We're going to keep escalating this, by the way. It's just going to keep on growing to, in, in grandeur until it's this legendary thing that they make movies about someday. Um, it, it, because it was like they didn't just win. They dunked on them. 
and and literally dunk. Like that's what they call it. they call that uh, in in the Dota community. They'll call that a dunk, uh, the echo dunk or something like yeah. that. But they they just they spectacularly like undermanned. They pull off this amazing combo that just makes fools out of CDEC and just makes it so like they didn't just eke out a victory in the series or win three to one. They dunked on him and that was just the most the most assured victory just like this this victory shout moment where they're like they called their shot and they did it and they made cdec kind of look foolish and removed any doubt that there was like there's no rematch coming no one was like oh we need to see that happen again to make sure that eg was the better team here we everybody in that stadium knew at that moment it was eg and eg deserved that championship so that is the the six million dollar Echo Slam. You got to go check that out. Probably best moment in the history of esports. Two twenty fifteen was an amazing year, though. Do you have one that that sticks out to you? A really great moment from twenty fifteen. Yeah, you know I do. Um, so one of my favorite moments, and, and this moment stands out for me because it actually sort of changed the texture of the year in StarCraft mm. uh, for me, and that is. <clears throat> This game in Star League mm -hmm. this year uh, between uh, Ty and Buell, and it's a semifinals match, and it's just one of those games of StarCraft that you know it, it sort of restored my faith in StarCraft. Oh, yeah. To be quite honest, yeah. uh, because this this is a game, and we and we talked about it at length, uh, you know, when it, when it happened a few months ago. But you know, in the semifinals match. It's one of those crazy back and forth uh, pitched battles that is actually really rare in mm -hmm. StarCraft because usually people like get a lead and figure out how to maintain it. You don't see, and if a game swings, it swings once and then it ends. Right, right. And this is a game where you just never know who's got the advantage anymore yeah. because they they each like sort of seize the initiative and throw it away time and again it turns into this pitch battle on Vani research station and th there's so many great moments because like it starts with like ty has, he's a terran player has shut down the this this sort of zerg pressure coming from buell and ty has a mech army it's basically unchallenged he mm -hmm. has control of the map and he pushes north and he starts making progress, and he's denying he's denying the Zerg space, and you know, and this is you know, mech armies sort of choke Zerg out, right? right like right. you're if the Zerg can't expand, and they can't sort of rally effectively, they're just going to lose as the match goes on. Right. But Ty starts to feel it, like right. he's like <laughs> it's going really well. I'm like this is my moment, and so he keeps like pushing in a little farther, a little farther, and in the meantime. Yes, Buell doesn't have anything to counter this, but that's because he's building Ultralisks right. uh, to, to, to try and fend this off. And one of the Ultralisks comes out, and TY sees it, but he doesn't stop. He just, he just sort of keeps pushing deeper into these Zerg bases. And then Buell just comes down and hits him with all these Ultralisks simultaneously, uh, catches this mech army, Completely exposed, uh, the ultralists get to do sort of you know the most efficient damage, uh, you know, nice right, and nice right. encirclements on this army, and destroys the Terran mech army. And again, mech is hard to replace; it's expensive <laughs> to replace. So suddenly, like Buell's in charge, and it should be his game. It's his game to lose. And it, damn, he tries. Yeah. <laughs> but what it turns into as these guys like, as these guys mine out this map and they they change compositions and send these different armies out and just blow each other away time and again mm -hmm. uh it just turns into one of those things where you don't know what's going to happen anymore you know you're you're so far off a, st a standard game oh, yeah. at that point you're just like it's just going to be whoever has the last like ounce of creativity or genius uh, or whoever commits the last screw up. That's, that's yeah. what turns this. And it, and it becomes like I love those kinds of games because it starts to feel – I don't know if it feels this way to everybody else. But to me it starts to feel like a, feel like a sword fight where you can see them you know, parry and then thrust. Because they, you know they've caught their opponent off guard, they've disarmed them for a moment, and then they're going to thrust. But then they also get parried, and it just becomes this like almost like a tennis match, even. Yeah. You know where you're, you you get your nice shot off, and you put your opponent out of position. But then they make a great shot that puts you out of position. Uh, the, the, these wonderful moments, um, and yeah, it just kept going back and forth. Where they miraculously every single time they would throw their armies away, and it kind of teaches you something about StarCraft and in general and the art of playing StarCraft, because you realize that. If you destroy your enemy's army, but you don't seize the initiative after that, 
you, you're not capable of shutting down their economy or or setting up in a dominant posture that, that ruins their ability to, to remake units or something like that. Your opponent is going to switch compositions and they're going to regain the upper hand because they're going to be able to make a composition that perfectly counters yours. And so it can be a bad thing to win a battle if you don't seize, if you're not in a position to where you can actually make use of it. Yeah. And especially because, you know, if you're the Terran, the Zerg have so have such an ability to adapt as mm-hmm. the game goes on. Right. Whereas like Terran mech, you're kind of stuck with what you've got. And you can sort of change the pieces around and, and maneuver within it. But like Zerg can radically change uh, right. what, the, what they're throwing at you. And so like especially for Terran, you know, as they – there is this moment – and, and you, you, you call my attention to it. I'd forgotten this happened. Um, Buell is, is such a macro master that he's – Got a 230 supply army, uh, and and the game is supposed to top out at 200, right, but right, because right. he's cancel he's canceling buildings, right, uh, to like temporarily take drones off the supply list. Right. So, so if you don't play StarCraft, basically he manipulated the game in such a way that allowed him to build a larger army than you're supposed to be able to. Yeah, and and this is something that like anyone can pull off, but to pull it off to that scale where mm-hmm. you've got an extra 30 supply of, of army is, is pretty impressive. Right. But and then so it should be like. He should have an advantage. He's yeah, got yeah. 30 supply that the Terran player doesn't. And Yeah, absolutely. And then what ends up happening is probably the most like actually biologically disgusting display of StarCraft positioning and strategy that I've ever seen because Buell shows up with this, again, an army that is larger than what you're supposed to be able to have, and he just charges directly into TY. And TY destroys, I believe, 100, 110 supply in exchange for nine. So he basically loses about two or three units and destroys, for a Zerg army, probably 150 units. Uh, it, it's unbelievable that how this Zerg army just absolutely melts in the face of this a really, really well-positioned Terran force. It's really, really cool to watch. You should definitely check it out yeah. even if you don't watch StarCraft. Yeah, and so again, that was another one of those moments where this should this should be the end. We were talking as we watched this replay together uh, you know, the interesting thing is the Terran keep having these epic holds mm. and crushing these Zerg armies, but the Zerg keep expanding across the map right, and the creep right, gets closer right. and closer. And we're talking about, like, it's starting to look like a StarCraft campaign in itself right. where, like, the Terrans are slowly, like, they, they keep winning battles, but they're being driven off this planet. And by the end, you're like, okay, I think if you had the option, this would be where the Terrans have to evacuate. Right, right, right. Uh, but is still there because he's, he's stuck in a multiplayer match. And yeah, I think I think it comes down to uh, just two really depleted armies, no resources left, and uh, yeah. it comes down to a pretty basic but but still clutch play. Right, uh, they're both in their last throw of the dice, and uh, Buell lands these uh, infester uh, fungal shots right. that uh, basically like paralyze uh, a, a really important uh, component of Ty's army, uh, his his hellbats. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, go check that check that match out. But like we we were talking, like there's there's more to this. Like, this this match was kind of, like, emblematic of something for StarCraft. And it wasn't just that it, like, revitalized our interest in StarCraft. It's also that it includes Buell. And if you've listened to this show at all, like, you've been hearing us talk about Buell for the longest time and not for good reasons. You know, the story, like, we almost love Buell as this tragic player who kind of saved StarCraft for us this year. Because Buell, we talk about him again and again because he's always losing. Like once a month, we have an episode where we get on here and we talk about how Buell got in second place in another tournament and just threw it in the most spectacular way possible. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. He's he's losing on the last like leg, right? He's <laughs> he's stumbling at the finish line uh, repeatedly. And like one of the things somewhere in my in my uh, documents folder, I've, I've saved actually a picture of of Buell's uh, mom like crying at one of the matches because <laughs> apparently that's that's also a thing now. Like Buell's mom always shows up to these finals, oh, no. and she always just looks. She always has this look like, what are they, what are they going to do to my baby today? Oh no, uh, it's 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 brutal. But like, yeah, there's. There is the fact that like Buell is a really interesting player because he's really really good, but he is one of those guys, and StarCraft has a fair number of them that are great players and will be remembered for a long time. But they'll also be remembered for the fact they they just were bad at closing deals. I actually don't think Buell is going to be remembered specifically because he never he really never won anything, and and I think that's going to tar his legacy for the longest time, such that people won't even even remember him. But like I mean, for us, like when we look at the year in StarCraft, that that was this was the year of Buell, and it, it's really like when you think about him, he is like the finest dancer in the Russian ballet, but he trips and falls on his face on the, after during the bow every single every single yeah. time. Like they're taking the bow and he just falls over and just loses his feet. 
Yeah, so I mean that that's just a moment that, that stands out for me because it was such a great game. Uh, there were so many moments tied to it, and then I think it was it was also a moment where you and I realized, like, man, like StarCraft is still really, really good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it lived up to it, I think, for the rest of the year. But that was sort of the moment that made us both realize, like, damn, there, this is everything we loved about this game. Absolutely. Yeah, and because we, we had kind of been sad about StarCraft for quite yeah. a, quite a few months before that because when you looked at the top level of competition in Korea it wasn't it didn't feel that strong like it didn't feel like we were getting really good matches it didn't feel like there was this hotly contested group of amazing players who were all expressing themselves in different ways it felt like there was maybe uh two players at the top level who were just we were just waiting to see who was going to win and who was who was going to fall apart um and it wasn't until we got like a really compelling narrative out of it that we really started paying attention again and uh so you know Buell uh, uh, we thank you for that. We really do, and we have, we've given appropriate respect to that player a number of times on this show. So we, we're relatively comfortable laughing at him, at him losing over and over again. <laughs> so you know that's my that's my that's my StarCraft moment. But yeah. I think this is also the year that you and I uh, got into Counter Strike oh. a lot, and I'm I'm curious if yes. there's anything that like you can sort of pinpoint the moment where you're like, oh, I get it. And I love it. Oh, you know that I do. You know that I have a perfect moment for this. This is, oh man, because we'd probably been watching, I think, StarCraft, I'm sorry, excuse me, Counter-Strike for a month at the time. And when you've been watching an eSport for a month, you don't really understand it yet. You're, you're, you have a sense of why it might be exciting and you listen to people get excited, you hear the crowd roar, but you're still trying to figure it out. And then there's this moment at DreamHack London, and we talked about this uh, again on the show, this is sort of a clip show in a lot of ways because like, the, we were here, so we remember all of these moments that we got to talk about on the show, um, where I don't remember who, who exactly, it doesn't even matter who Envious was playing, Team Envious from France, but it's at DreamHack London, and there's this incredible moment where my absolute favorite player in the world, Kiyoshima, one of the rifle players from Envious, uh, is faced with, I believe, with, with a two-against-one scenario. And somebody on the other team has planted the bomb, and Kiyoshima is on dust two, and literally is, like, basically dancing on a ledge around the bomb site. Wheels around, comes from a completely unexpected angle, pops the bomb, uh, the bomb planter, walks over to the bomb. Starts diffusing to the bomb, and at that same moment, the other person who's alive in the other team throws a Molotov cocktail and lights the ground on fire beneath Kiyoshima himself. And he doesn't break for a moment. He sits there, and he's like, he's racing through it. He's going to defuse this bomb. He's going to get through it. And all the while, his life is ticking down at the exact same rate that the bomb does. And at this moment, you're like, Kiyoshima is a legitimate action hero at this moment. He's pulled off this incredible shot, and he's in the fire right now, diffusing a bomb, and then he diffuses the, 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 the the diffusing of the bomb completes, and he has literally three out of 100 HP left. And he falls. I believe I'm not sure if the match ends at that moment or if he dies after that. But I hope that he died because it would make we could make a movie out of yeah. that scene. We could make a movie out of that scene. Oh, it was. It's like, just it's like so the end of Armageddon. Like exactly. Bruce Willis is on the asteroid, <laughs> and like you know, Aerosmith starts to play, and you like slam cut to like. Uh, <laughs> like Elrond's daughter, I forget. I forget the actress's name. <laughs> Liv Tyler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elrond's daughter. Oh, this is great stuff. Um, so yeah, no, that was that was for me the moment that I really began to understand Counter Strike. That I began to understand, like, there's still a lot that I'm learning about Counter Strike. I've been watching it for maybe five or six months at this point. And I'm still learning every single time I watch about like the metagame, about how teams approach each other, about how they strategize against one another, about the economy of the game. It's, it's incredibly complex, and we're still learning a lot about that. But like this was like, um, like if I had been watching NASCAR and I didn't understand why people watch NASCAR, and then I saw like a big beautiful crash, and then the crowd roared, and everybody went crazy. And I was like, that was actually pretty cool. I don't know if I feel super good about watching a NASCAR crash, but like I kind of get the the rush that people get out of it. Like these really, really deeply cool moments where somebody's put against incredible odds, and it manages to manipulate the game in such a way, in such a perfect way, that they just make fools out of their enemies. That's really what I love so much about this. Yeah, and you know, I think there's a couple things that go into moments <clears throat> like that too. And and we we should also say, uh, you know, huge props to our, our friend. Joe Wong, who oh, yeah. also helped us really find our feet and understand like how this game works. Uh, we've had him a couple times, and it's basically turned into info dumps for us. Uh, <laughs> we're just like, tell us more about your game. Uh, but there's a couple things at moments like this. Uh, one is that because like Counter Strike is a really relatable game. Mm -hmm. uh, like we, we, you know, we've played it, uh, and the thing is, like, the difference is, I think in, in StarCraft, I can watch people playing at the pro level, and it's not really the game I play. 
because mm-hmm. I'm playing like crap oh, StarCraft. Yeah. Oh, I'm playing yeah. Scrub StarCraft, and they're playing idealized StarCraft. Mm-hmm. I don't think the gap is as big in in Counter Strike. The difference is like, are you like, do you have an understanding of the way the game works, and do you have the mechanical skill, right. right? But but you understand the skill. You know what goes into it, and so you're able to appreciate all the more, uh, just like the the preternatural ability, but also the poise. A lot of these players uh, show because, you know, you yeah. understand like what goes into a moment and how you might react. Oh, yeah. you know how you you know you know exactly the five ways you'd have blown that moment. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Molotov comes down, you freak out, you like stop defusing the bomb, you and you try to start again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, so so Counter Strike is great because you have these moments where you can sort of say, "Oh yeah, I know exactly what I do in that situation." It's not that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, that awesome play. I would not have done that. Uh, so I think that's that's a that's a big part of it. Absolutely, and 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 the great thing about that is that you know that you would have choked in private in your bedroom with only ten other people watching you on the screen. But here's Kiyoshima doing it in a stadium full of like twenty thousand people with a million people watching online. It doesn't even care. Just cold as ice. The dude is just ice cold. I, oh man! As I said before, this was really just the, the moment that made me fall in love with Counter Strike uh, as a game. Yeah. It was it was a tremendous moment. Yeah. So so, but we haven't talked about uh, arguably the biggest esport in the world yet, which is League of Legends. We haven't really gotten into that, which is kind of bizarre. And I'm very curious: was there something about the year in League of Legends? Because mm-hmm. you're kind of our League of Legends guy. I I enjoy the game. I like watching it. A lot. I watch like watching it a lot. But you're like you're the person that I turn to for like high level analysis and like league. Oh league, yeah. Oh brother, you're turning the wrong place. <laughs> uh, but but was there something from the from the year 2015 in League of Legends that jumps out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the, 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 the moment, and this is going to be a personal choice, and I, I've mentioned it before, it, it's, it, you have different relationships to the things you attend in person, the things you witness oh, first for sure. Yeah. And uh, so for me, one of, the, one of the great moments was the midseason Invitational, mm. uh, which was a weird tournament in, in, uh, in, in Florida, uh, you know, in this weird university town by uh, Flor- Florida, Florida State. Yeah. Uh, but... You had SK Telecom uh, playing uh, China's EDG and Edward, Edward Gaming. And SK Telecom had already started to look really mortal. Uh, mm-hmm. They'd already played this really uh, tremendous series, which is a, a close second, really, for, for my favorite uh, moment in League. Mm-hmm. They played this amazing series with Fnatic, uh, where Fnatic just sort of raised their game and, and almost took SK out. But it's the final, and they're playing Edward Gaming. And the series is tied, and it's it's all going to come down to the last game. And SK Telecom's uh, mid lane player, Faker, living legend, maybe the greatest uh, League of Legends player ever. He has one champion uh, at the time. He had this one champion, uh, LeBlanc, that he had never lost with. Like, and the rule was you don't you don't give. Faker LeBlanc mm-hmm. because his record is perfect. Right. Like he's like he just you you give him this character and there's two things he's really good at the character but also it puts him in his comfort zone mm-hmm. and suddenly you're getting a confident you know top execution uh, faker and that's usually game and EDG let him have it. <laughs> they don't ban it out. Mm-hmm. They let it sit there <clears throat> and and I guess you know for me it's not even the game because the game itself. Edward Gaming's game plan was so effective that the game wasn't that dramatic. But what I was returned to was the sight of Faker going back and forth with his with, with, with the team's coach as they pick LeBlanc. And you see him hovering over it. And they keep hesitating. And you know why they're hesitating, right? Because like right. they both know like this isn't like they're giving it to. They want you right, to pick this. Right. They're daring you to pick it. And they knew. Mm-hmm. I think they knew. I think Faker knew he shouldn't pick it. Mm-hmm. But there was this moment at the last minute, like he just waves off the coach and just like screw right, it. Right, he right. locks in LeBlanc, and then immediately Edward Gaming like counterpick all around it. Okay. And Faker, but but it was that moment where where sort of Faker, you know, it's Casey at the bat. Faker and SKT are like screw it. You're gonna you're going to disrespect us. You're going to give us right. LeBlanc, then we're going to throw it right back in your face. We're gonna, we're, yeah, okay, fine. Do, do your worst. We're going right, to kick your ass. Right, like, this is my moment. You know my, like, right cross is coming, and you're, yeah. you're asking me to throw it, and now I'm going to hit you with it anyways. Yeah, and so they, they, they did it, and they end up, they end up losing. Uh, Faker's completely <laughs> marginalized. And uh, it's this huge moment, because Edward Gaming also, this is a huge moment, uh, because it proves that, like, 
the, the Chinese experiment has worked. They mm-hmm. imported the right players. Uh, they are ready to. They just knocked the the best team in Korea sort of sort of off their off their pedestal, uh, and it's only spring, so you know the sky's the limit. And that's what, the other reason this moment sort of sticks out in my memory, is uh, at that moment, it felt like this is China's year. This is Edward Gaming's year. They looked great, uh, and they looked. So happy, but also like sort of cocksure. Sure. At the at, you know at, at the at the winners' conference, like they had just they were like astronauts return, <laughs> returning from space, right? Like you expect them to sort of walk out side by side, you know, like you know headphones dangling from their hands, slow motion. Uh, but the thing is, that also turns out to be kind of the high watermark for uh, for for China as as a region this year, right? Yeah. And that's the other thing that this this stands up my memory because the next time we'd sort of see this narrative. It was in the context of where did all the Chinese teams go? Right. What what just happened? And they all just sort of imploded at the end of the season and had one of the worst showings uh, the regions ever had yeah. at uh, at Worlds. And so it, it's it's sort of this twofold moment. On the one hand, it's it's this great it's, it's this great like personal intense moment around mm-hmm. one of the great players in StarCraft and him sort of being humbled uh, on stage. And on the other hand, it's also the moment that, like, it, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but this would prove to be the high watermark uh, for, for for China in 2015. And quick correction, I believe you said one of the great players in StarCraft when you were referring to Faker, correct? You know, it's the Korean <laughs> thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure he's really good at StarCraft too. Though, I mean, I like, bet you he could I'll, be. I'll bet you he. I'll, I'll bet you he's got some game. So, but like that, that reminds me of, of of kind of my favorite moment in League of Legends from, from this year. Uh, which was uh, was I believe it was day one or week one. I don't remember if it was an entire week of uh, of worlds when the North American teams almost went, all went undefeated, and the entire it wasn't even necessarily about anything that happened on the League of Legends field. It was the response that it got from the North American community, where the entire esports world simultaneously just lost its mind and completely forgot the way that esports works. Because that was the most beautiful moment for me because I remember just sitting there, like sitting back in my chair being like, yeah, it's fun, but the Koreans are going to win. I, maybe you're new here, but this is the way that it goes. This is why we watch Dota because that's the one time, or and, and Counter-Strike as well, because it's fun to occasionally not see the, the Koreans win. Um, but like, don't get so excited. During during day one, and this is easy for me to say because I, it's all in retrospect. I, I, I but I, I I do seem to remember at the time being like, just wait, just wait. North America will throw it. Don't worry. Yeah, but you know, I, I think for me, it's just, I think everyone had that feeling, mm-hmm. right? But everyone expected it to happen on day one, and so it was fun. It was fun to live in that moment. It was fun to live in that <laughs> week where the underdog Americans mm-hmm. were actually like in danger like they were gonna pull this off like my god the cloud nine cloud nine who had no business being at worlds it seemed uh had sort of stumbled in there on a wing and a prayer and uh you had their captain high like visibly just exhausted with 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 being the captain of this team somehow they're suddenly like poised to win their group and it was fun to live in that moment and i think right I, i i get a little sad when i think about what it must be like to be not in, not like a North American superstar, right? Mm-hmm. But like one of the players working your way up, or you're just a, you're just another guy on the team, right? You're mm-hmm. trying to you're trying to you're trying to do good work, and the narrative is always like, when are you going to choke? <laughs> like, seriously, it's like it, it's 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 like the equivalent of like you know going home for the holidays and like your family's asking you like, when are you going to get a real job? Like, it, it's sort of it, right. you know North like the North American fandom is is so beaten down that there's almost this like the, you know sort of wallowing yeah, in yeah, in the yeah. region's mediocrity. Like, oh man, like when it, what, how, how are you going to suck this year? Well, it's great, too, because it, ma- it means that no matter how high you rise, when you lose, you've choked. Yeah. Yeah. The, the success, you can never really succeed. Right. Because the only way you can succeed is to exceed all expectations and win something. Right. And the milestones you make on the way, I think, get a little... Uh, we, we tend to be a little dismissive, I think, of the region, yeah. region's accomplishments. Well, now, I will say, in, in League of Legends... The situation isn't that pretty a lot yes. of times, but uh, but I think there's there's cause for hope in, in other esports. And right. hey, we're number one in Dota. We are currently. Hopefully that, that sort maintains. Of. Um, but I think that in that particular circumstance, one of the things that people got so excited about was that 
there was like three great hopes from North America at the time in, in, in the world's qualifiers. And I think a lot of people were sitting there thinking like, well, if two of them choke, no oh big God. deal. We still got one of them. Yeah. Yeah. That second weekend was rough. Oh, it was really bad. Yeah. Because it was like, yeah, you thought the odds were at least in your favor. Right. Yeah. And then uh, it all it all happened. And it's like misery loves company. And I was really enjoying the party I was having that week, that week when everything fell apart for North America. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, as we as we sort of come to the end of 2015, there's there's a bit of news we, we should talk about as well. Uh, and that is the fact that many of the players that we've been talking about for ages in StarCraft uh, are done. Yeah. And this has been like this. This has been the week of mortality, I would say, in uh, in, in StarCraft. Eras, eras are ending. Yeah. I take on a somber reflection or a somber note of reflection when I think about all that. All that happened today, or in the last week, uh, with major StarCraft personalities. Yeah, so you know, we 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 lost. Uh, you know, Flash retired, mm-hmm. and I think we'd all sort of sense that was was coming to an extent. Uh, no, you're shaking your head. <laughs> there, there will always be an England. There'll always be a Flash. <laughs> Uh, well, he's not that old. He's like, but that's that's the joke with Flash is that he's this grizzled old veteran and he's twenty three years old. Yeah, it's we've, hilarious. We've wasted our lives. Uh, but then we also had uh, MMA retire uh, this like this week, and and I know this is going to hurt you. I know. Rain. I know. Retired. So well, you want to know why specifically that hurts me? That combo of Flash and Rain. Okay. Probably actually we could we could do all three. Let's loop all three and all three of these hurt me. Oh, you don't you don't care about MMA. I've heard you so I've heard I'll what you explain. Say. I'll explain. Okay. Um so Flash was my hope when and I've talked about this on the show before, so sorry for repeating myself, but when Wings of Liberty was around back in like twenty twelve of, of StarCraft, everybody like Flash was still playing StarCraft Brood War because that was the big game in South Korea. And it was like this Nobody knew when the king was going to arrive in StarCraft 2. Everybody knew that that StarCraft 2 at the time was like child's play because all the best players were still playing Brood War. And so when Flash finally came over, all the Terrans in StarCraft 2 were having a really, really tough time. And then Flash shows up, the best Terran in the history of StarCraft Brood War. And it was the great hope for me. It was like as a Terran player, I was a huge fan of the Terran race. I still am. And he was the great hope for me, and we just, I, I had been watching him for so long, just waiting for him to just go beast mode and take over uh, StarCraft II GSL Code S. And I wanted it so bad. And it never really happened. He never, he, I think he got to maybe a round of four one time in the GSL. Uh, yeah, I don't think he, he didn't do it, I think, that much in Korea. I, I, we should confirm this, though. Uh, I want to look that up. But I know for a fact he, like, won an MLG. He right? certainly never lived up to the potential that everybody thought he was going to. Like, his Brood War record is insane. He just he would win, like, ten tournaments in a row. Flash, there's a reason why his nickname was God. Like, he, they just, he's incredible. He's an unbelievable Brood War player. But so, like, his specific accomplishments aren't that important. What was important is that I had to, at a certain point, start being practical and select my favorite players who were not, these hopes that I had, these people that I had all of my hopes tied up in. And so who I found was Rain. You know, Rain was this player who was just embodied everything that I loved about tactical StarCraft play, who was not flashy, who was just, who did the same thing every time and was so good at it that no one could touch him. And so he was my practical player, who the person who I actually tried to root for to win, uh, even while I secretly harbored hopes for a lot of these, like, underdog Terrans. And MMA kind of was the same deal. This other player who retired MMA, because when you would go out to the foreign circuit, that was MMA's jam. Like, he would win uh, WCS Europe and all these dream hacks and stuff like that. And so he was the, the Terran who could dominate outside of Korea for me. You know, I, I didn't love him. As a player, but he was the person who could bring some kind of glory to the Terran race and actually make me feel like I was on the winning side once in a while. Yeah, um, I, I always liked MMA because he was just one of those guys that just always kept hustling, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was always out there, and he he always like he always surprised you with the with the ability to sort of come back after you'd written him off and you were like this <laughs> yeah. guy's this guy's yeah. day is done like it belongs to innovation and then like a tu- a tournament or two later like MMA is just making a crazy run and it's like what's happening like BlizzCon last year uh where MMA just like you know sort of carves his way to the final uh he loses to fl- to, to life but it was still like 
you know, it's it's 2014, and and MMA <laughs> is is playing for the for the world championship. Yeah, it's I mean, it's pretty incredible. Like MMA was this guy that who kind of gained a reputation as like a competitor, like somebody who knew how to close out StarCraft matches. Uh, whereas other people, you know, specifically like I th- think of players like Innovation, are renowned for their mechanical talent. Like they're really good at the game of StarCraft. But man, MMA knows how to like put the killing blow. He's not like the flashiest fighter, but he'll like give you like a chop to the jugular that like shut off your brain and you'll just die yeah like he's he knows how to kill people and that's 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 just so key that's so rare yeah he's he's he really excelled in some of those um like intense weekend tournaments uh where just that ability to grind it out yeah and it's really it's it's difficult um it's difficult to see rain go right now specifically because like rain's going out at the top of his game you know he's one of the best most feared players in the world. he did not have a bad season he's great he's amazing um, I, I, I enjoyed watching him right up until the end. And that, so it, it's, I mean, I get it. A lot of these South Korean players have to make a choice because there's a new expansion pack coming out, Legacy of the Void, and a ton of changes are coming. And nobody knows if they're going to be really good under that uh, expansion pack. So they kind of have to make a choice if they're going to dedicate another couple years of their life uh, to playing these game, this, this specific game. Um, or if they're going to say, like, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to go out while I'm, while I'm well-remembered. Uh, and I'm going to go, you know, do my military service in South Korea. Just I, I had, I'd missed this because I was traveling, but MMA just won a uh, home story cup uh, <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, now, admittedly, he beat Firecake in that final. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's it's not exactly going to stand alongside, like, his, his GSL victories. Yes. No. Uh, but but still, like, you know, even even there at the end, he's, uh, you know, he, he's, st- he's still bringing it. But, yeah, I, I think... With Rain and Flash, I also wonder if there's an element of these are guys who saw StarCraft and esports at the very biggest. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like Flash played on stages that are like unimaginable, yeah. right, right, right. Uh, in front of crowds that are unimaginable mm-hmm. uh, for for present day StarCraft. And I wonder, you know, I wonder to what degree there like there's an air of anticlimax mm-hmm. uh, for for Flash's entire StarCraft two career. I heard people talk about like he never really seemed to like the game as much, which I understand. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's a different game, and it's not the game that he loved and was great at. But I also wonder if there was just this element of, you know. A couple of years ago, you were playing in front of these massive arenas, yeah. and you were wearing those ridiculous costumes, <laughs> and you were you were being you were being brought out on like a jumbo jet right, to right. to your final, uh, to to your finals match, and now you're you know on a tiny stage in Toronto, uh, you know in, yeah. in front of like a, a thousand people. I wonder to what degree, like. You know, to what degree there's that, that sort of a bittersweet anticlimax to right. like this is you know this is where the game is at, this is where your career is at, and there's sort of no denying that. Well, you know, it also makes me think about you know Flash and Rain in particular, two players who came into StarCraft II with huge reputations from from Brood War, and I I, I wonder what did their experience in StarCraft do do to their legacy? I, Flash in particular is someone who obviously, as I've said before just a moment ago, like dominated. Brood War in a way that no one's ever probably very rarely has anybody dominated any esport the way Flash dominated Star, StarCraft Brood War. Um, did StarCraft 2 enhance his legacy or hinder it? Because there's a sense that like it's really impressive that he was able to make that bridge and come into StarCraft 2 and occasionally be like a top 16 player. That's actually a pretty good accomplishment. He didn't live up to his legacy. But I wonder if like mastering a whole different game actually does kind of enhance his legacy as like an esports professional uh and rain as well like rain is somebody who i I think he he's probably the only player in starcraft 2 history to eclipse their legacy from brood war like a great brood war player coming over to starcraft 2 he's probably the best of the best brood war players to come over uh and compete in starcraft 2 and so i don't know i just i just wonder what what are we going to think about these players, these these legendary Brood War pros, when we take into context the entirety of their career and what they did in StarCraft II? Yeah, I mean, I think I think in the short term, it sort of dings your reputation, right? Because you don't mm-hmm. you don't go out on top. Like I don't think J Dong's reputation has been enhanced by oh, his, no, his StarCraft II. It almost did. Like that year where he came in second everywhere, it felt like you mm-hmm. like he was almost at the cusp of of being like the J Dong that always been long promised. But I think in the short term, it, it does diminish your legacy a little bit. I think in the long run, uh, it won't matter as much, right? Because everyone's going to remember, like, people will be talking about, like, 
you know, the, the, the peak Brood War era in right. Korea, long, long after, uh, yeah. you know, various seasons of Wings of Liberty and Heart of the Swarm forgotten. There's some important context about Rain's retirement. Of course. Uh, and I, I had missed this part of it. Uh, I thought it was just, you know, kind of a wave of retirements hitting and everyone's deciding it's time to pack up. Uh, apparently, Rain just uh, underwent surgery. Oh, no. Uh, no, uh, to donate his a part of his liver uh, to to his father, uh, according to uh, according to the article oh on Wikipedia. Rain uh, is the best. Yeah, no. So he so maybe he did go out tops. Oh uh, man. Like so so Rain so Rain just had a major surgery uh, to to donate uh, to donate part of his liver, and uh, you know justifiably I think decided it, maybe what, it's time oh, to man. maybe it's time to maybe it's time to rest up. What a way to say goodbye to like my favorite player of the latter half of StarCraft II. It's just like, sorry guys, I gotta donate an organ. I can't play this game anymore. Have fun. Like just yeah, just drop, mic drop. Mic drop. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Have fun, kids. Good game. Oh that's, that absolutely enhances my memory of Rain. Um but yeah, as we as we look towards the end of 2015, we also got some. We we put out a call on Twitter and the last week on the show for some of the listeners' uh, favorite esports moments of 2015, and we got a bunch of really really great emails, and we do want to share some of those with you. Um, we we'll stick with StarCraft right now. We got one from Bradley Jolly uh, talking about a Terran versus Terran match. Uh, I believe it was in Pro League between uh, Maru and Innovation. And, and Rob and I, before the show, were watching this this VOD that he sent us and just sitting here like like two inches away from our screen trying to study every single detail of this match, This, this particularly this like five-second window well, that Bradley's talking about. Just so much fun. Also, we, we, need, to, we need to sort of be honest here. Uh, he, he wrote an email. Well, let, let's read it here because sure. I, I, I want to read it and then I want to explain how, rea- how we reacted to it. <laughs> uh, so, so Brad Jolly, uh, who's, who's really sort of been locking down the StarCraft coverage uh, you know, in, in the forums and sort of has given us a lot of uh, great insight and uh, highlighted a lot of great moments, he Absolutely. wrote in uh, to say, There was a Terran versus Terran on the largest map in the pool between two legends, Maru and Innovation. Uh, Deadwing is one of the most open maps in Heart of the Swarm, and Innovation was playing a dominating mech game uh, in a style that was totally different from Maru's infantry-based style. Maru was trying to claw his way back into the game with his trademark drop play, but Innovation's Hellbat drops did more damage to Maru than the bio player ever achieved. Innovation had more bases, more army, and was at a point where his units had become nearly unkillable if they were in position. Innovation moves out for the killing blow, slowly pushing through the center of the map, just barely giving Maru time to position his forces around Innovation's army. Without warning, Maru dives onto Innovation's army when it is unseized for a moment with a complete encirclement while also dropping bio onto the siege tanks. The normally unbeatable army is gone in seconds, and the game was turned on its head in the most impressive tactical moment in StarCraft history. And when we hit that line, Andrew and I sort of looked at each other and gave a little eye roll. Like, yeah, uh, like, we, like we both sit back yeah. in our chairs and we're just like, okay, let's see what yeah. this dude's got for us. I'm, I'm sure it was, dude. Yeah, <laughs> most, most, most impressive tactical moment. So at first, it does look like, okay, a, a mech army got rolled up by bio. But if you watch, if you watch the build up to that moment, mm-hmm. it is this really dramatic thing. And I think a lot of it actually plays out in the minimap. And that's why we were sort of like nose to the computer. Because innovation does move his army out. And he's trying to he's not he doesn't have the ability to do reconnaissance he's just scanning like mm-hmm. crazy trying to sort of see what's out there and he just keeps missing i don't think he ever sees uh, i don't he, i know he never gets a good look but i don't think he ever sees the fact that there's uh, a bunch of fully loaded medevacs uh, circling right, around right. south of his position and i don't think he ever fully understands that he's walking into uh, kind of a large concave right this is like it's like a battle of the bulge scenario where like he marches into the middle of the map and, and maru is just maneuvering this like crescent formation of units around his uh, around his uh, like ball of, of sieged up tanks yeah and then there's like this paratrooper drop that comes in right on top of them from the back side it's it's so cool and like rob and i were just sitting here like discovering this like tiramisu like we would just dip in yep. and be like oh my god there's another layer of strategy that yep. went on here where we just literally two inches away from our screen trying to like get extra any extra insight into how this happened because when the moment hits and maru charges he springs the trap and he charges into this army innovation's army just melts and disappears and you're trying normally you just sort of accept that you watch it happen you're like oh he won the battle but this time we were like trying to unravel that every little bit of strategy of how that was able to happen and it was immensely satisfying to see how it actually took place there's like one 
big mistake that innovation makes. But other than that, there's really nothing wrong with what he did. Mario was just so brilliant in what in what well, he did. Innovation, yeah, innovation's mistake, I think, is not knowing that he's about to be attacked. Oh yeah, because uh, he yeah because he moves his he he's got his hellbats uh, out of position, mm-hmm. uh, so they're they're sort of in the middle or the back of his army, right. and then he's starting to move his units up to sort of starting that bounding Overwatch that mech armies do sometimes. I think where he's like moving them out and like sieging up, and then yeah. move the next group and siege up, and uh, his leading element wasn't sieged. Everyone else was kind of in position, yeah. but the the problem is the encirclement was just so complete that right. it was one of those plays you had to watch it. I think we watched it like ten times oh, yeah. uh, to figure out the the army melts so quickly that in real time I think I would have just like sort of been staring blankly at the screen and like right. what just happened. <laughs> right. Uh, well, but, it's one of these moments where like you can almost feel innovation like the villain in a movie is just not not afraid of a head-on attack. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't believe that Mario is going to be able to pull off, you know, such such a tactically brilliant maneuver that well, it's actually a threat to him. Yeah, you said you said you thought he was just scanning to make sure drops weren't coming. Uh, that, that he was just like checking his six basically Pretty to much, see if yeah. he was going to get cheesed. I, I, I think that he was he was looking around the map trying to make sure that when he moved his like slow mechanical uh, army army units away from his base that Maru wasn't doing a run by and was just going to show up in his base and take out all his buildings or something like that. I don't think that uh, Innovation ever for a moment believed that Maru had the guts to attack him when he was basically in a perfect position with, with so many siege tanks that just a, a really, really strong position. And I think... Uh, the one thing that I think that Brad uh, missed when he sent us this email is Innovation's siege tanks weren't on siege. There was like two of them that were on siege, but the bulk of his army is in a perfect position and is ready to receive this. And if the only thing that makes this work is Maru's completely perfect position, it, it, had, it had very little to do with how Innovation failed and everything to do with how Maru just dominated him. Yeah, uh, it, was, it, it was a tremendous moment. Uh, so the next, the next email, the next listener highlight... Absolutely. Let's take a look at what we've got here. Uh, we've got one person pointing out the $6 million Echo Slam. We already covered that. That's great. But okay, so what we have here, this is going to be a little bit complicated, but we really encourage you to go into the forums. We're going to post this this analysis of this match in the forums because it's probably the best email we've ever gotten. Um, David Turkington, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Arathane on the forums, sent us probably like a 600-word analysis of probably the best Heroes of the Storm match that I've ever heard but, of. Yeah, and, and I think it all it's also a moment that, that really sort of highlights a lot of Heroes' uh, strengths yes. as, as a game and sort of the unique approach uh, that, that Blizzard has had to, uh, to, to, to champion design. Um, all right, do, you want, do you want me to read? Because I because yeah. I can probably no, no, summarize no, this. We, a we bit. don't need to read the whole the whole thing. That's why I kind of want to post it in the forums because I think that it, I do think that you should go into this and read it because it's a great analysis of high level uh, heroes of the storm play. But basically, what happens is Cloud Nine uh, is playing against Team DK in the semifinals of BlizzCon, and they come out with this composition that is uh, you know as as David puts it specifically designed uh, to die constantly while losing team fights, and that's why they win. They have this composition that's basically designed just to slow down uh, Team DK just long enough for the map balance to tip in the favor of Cloud9. So they don't even care that they're dying all the time and losing all of these team fights because they know that the long game is going to get them uh, get them the actual victory. But, yeah, and, and the thing is, though, the, the, what makes this moment uh, so great, and, and David provides a great explanation of it, is that Murky uh, was not, I'm not sure even is uh, still, really considered a, a great competitive pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Murky, the, the theory always was that Blizzard did want this character to be sort of uh, kind of a crappy, uh, you know, suicide character. Sure, yeah. But it wasn't working out that well in practice. And yet uh, Cloud9 found a way to make this character uh, viable in this in this really high stakes in in this really high stakes context, and uh, yeah, so so David sort of explains how uh, Cloud Nine keep like losing fight after fight after fight, and uh, you know DK are are kind of rolling over the map. And yet there's this moment where it just kind of flips, where, right. where sort of the, the trap is sprung. And, the, and here the way it plays out is the trap is sprung because, uh, as David points out, uh, the Cloud9 Murky has been picking talents to improve the invulnerability bubble and is getting even more annoyingly hard to kill. And then Leoric uh, is still dying. But once DK have managed to kill Murky and drive off the supports, Leoric is back again. And so is Murky because Leoric's gimmick right. is that he doesn't really die. Because mm-hmm. in Diablo, he's kind of a – he's a ghost kill, He's a ghost right, warrior. Right, right. He's a ghost king. So it's, it's this really interesting use of these – 
these these two champions uh, with these odd properties mm-hmm. to sort of completely ambush somebody uh, using the champion design of heroes. Right, and if I remember his email right, they they also have uh, Abathur, which is the weirdest character in the game because he doesn't actually fight anybody yes. directly. He buffs people from afar and then also just pushes lanes and, and basically manipulates the map in his own in, in, in the favor of his team. Who, While those fights are going on, he's just doing his own thing uh, around the rest of the map and manipulating the way that things are going to to make sure that while those fights are happening the map is being pushed in a way that is favorable to cloud nine it's, it's a really really interesting analysis of a really cool team composition yeah so a huge thanks to uh to, to david for for writing in with that moment and bringing it to our attention because it was it, it is a great moment it's great to see that sort of unpacking of uh of of competitive here's the storm right and so our final you know listener moment of 2015 that the people emailed in to us about comes from uh, Conrad Jansen, uh, who writes, My favorite esports moment of the year was after the Dota Asia Championships when Sumail took the mic and explained how he was better than everyone else. It showed his personality, and he proved to be Rookie of the Year from that moment on. And we got a chance to watch this right before the show, and it's totally true. They keep asking him these questions that aren't even necessarily about how great he is, but he turns them into answers about how, like, great and cocksure and and, and amazing he is. There's like one question about, like, oh, you did great at this this year. What would you like if we uh, named the, the next champion after you or something like that. Or rename, no, I think they rename his champion. Sure. Uh, And he just says, I deserve it. Yeah. (laughs) And then the next question comes up and they're like, you know, a lot of kids are watching. They're they're in in China. They're like you. Uh, They want to know how they can get better in the game. And he's like, well, it's really, really hard to get like me. Maybe you shouldn't try or something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's so delicious. Just incredibly cocky from this 15 year old who has just rolled this entire tournament. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, he backed it up. Oh, like yeah. over the course of the year, like at no point, and, and this is the weird thing, right? Like usually, like usually, people who do that kind of rub both of us. I think the wrong oh, way. Yeah. In some ways, we're, we're kind of midwestern enough to sure, be like, sure. you know, you don't talk that way. Like, <laughs> like that's you, you don't get you don't get so boastful, right? Like I like rain, who never says a word. Yeah, but t- to sort of like just sort of say, yeah. Yeah, I am the king, <laughs> and then sort of live up to it over the course of the ensuing season uh, over is, and over and over is really cool. Yeah, it was, it was really a lot of fun. And so that is the end of our uh, listener moments from 2015. Uh, but we do have one more question uh, that is not related to that that we did want to address uh, on the show about uh, the and you know we've talked a lot about StarCraft Two on this show so far. But we can't really help it, but we did get a really good question from Stephen Thomas, uh, who writes. I just wanted to write in and ask your opinions regarding Legacy of the Void and the future of StarCraft II. Personally, I think it is clear that the new mechanics and sped-up early game make Legacy of the Void a much more diverse and interesting game to watch as an esports fan. However, I think that these changes have made it an even harder game to play. I have noticed that there is a much larger viewer viewer base for esports games, uh, which are easier to pick up. Do you think that the difficulty of playing Legacy of the Void is going to be offset by the addition of Archon Mode, or do you think that the player base is going to continue to be fairly small when compared to other esports titles today your thoughts rob i mean the the short answer is yes right like the starcraft audience is what it is and i i think we're we're lucky that we're sort of far enough away from 2012 when we all convinced ourselves that starcraft was going to be the esport of the future (laughs) and never mind the fact that like millions more people were actively playing league of legends and you know dota uh you know it was starcraft starcraft was first starcraft was best didn't matter if nobody could play it it would be the spectator (laughs) esport and obviously that's all proven to be false uh you know, I, I, but I, what I want to what I want to get across, though, and I, I sort of realized this uh, having a conversation with Timothy Young at BlizzCon, who was one of the developers uh, behind the StarCraft II visual novel, uh, which was actually a really fun like talk about like best esports moments of, of 2015. This, this fascinating visual novel mm. about being the life of a foreign pro gamer uh, in Korea, uh, which is really insightful about StarCraft. But you know, he sort of you know we were talking about StarCraft, and he just sort of waved off all concerns. He was like, you know, look at what you got. Like StarCraft is really healthy. Yeah. Like you got you got like yeah, the viewer numbers aren't huge, but they're 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 pretty stable. Yeah. Uh you got a lot of people still still watching all these tournaments. You've got a pretty robust competitive scene. Like there's there's lots of tournaments to watch. 
And so I think it's it's easy to sort of start hand wringing about StarCraft when you compare it to, you know, the big games and what was once expected of, of StarCraft. Right. And I think that it's important to also remember that sometimes it can get a little bit concerning if all that you look at are the concurrent viewer numbers on Twitch because it's immensely deceptive. All that tells you is who, which StarCraft fans are sitting there at that moment watching that particular stream. And it doesn't really tell you a whole lot because people are, are tuning in and out. They're coming back and forth. The, I mean, if, so if you see like 30,000 people on a stream, that probably means there's probably a solid 150 or 200,000 people who are really interested in professional StarCraft II, which is a really – it's a good amount. Like that's something you can reach people with that amount. And that, that's, that's certainly healthier than a lot of other scenes out there that are still managing to maintain – uh, a presence in in esports. If you think about like Smite or World of Tanks or something like that, people yeah. in North America just aren't really all that interested. Now that said, I mean, do 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 we think that like Legacy of the Void uh, is more difficult, and do you think that's going to be offset by Archon mode, which allows two people to sort of share a base? Uh, uh, do you think that's going to do you think that's going to make a difference? Uh, I don't think Archon mode is going to make any difference at all. Uh, because I think it's sort of like this thing that probably only hardcore StarCraft players even know about, really. That they saw that maybe people read an, uh, a news story about it on a gaming website or something like that, but it's not going to convince them to play the game or anything like that. And frankly, like Legacy of the Void is a more difficult game, and I think it's it may actually even drive away uh, lower ranked players because it is so much more difficult. And a lot of the ways that they made it more difficult make it like. Um, make it easier to harass and make it more annoying. Like that's something that is hard to uh, get across when you see StarCraft being played at the top level is how frustrating the game can actually be to play because it, like your base and your economy is such a fragile, volatile thing and there are so many ways to just destroy it uh, without ever touching your defense. It's really like yeah. you can build a castle out of Legos and then somebody just like pulls out one of them and it all falls down and it makes you angry, it makes you frustrated and that's something that can't, happen in something like League of Legends, where you have a game where if you make a mistake, you die and you come back to life and then you try again. Yeah. And a mistake is something that is like maybe one sixth of a loss. Yeah. Instead of one mistake being the entirety, the entire thing that brings down your house of cards. Yeah, uh, that's true. I, I, I still feel like in some ways, the game is is harder because Legacy is it does make a lot of changes that that make it a more mechanically taxing game. On the other hand, uh, because it's not entirely uh, because it's not purely uh, the, this macro fest at times. That yeah. there's more you can do in the early stages of the game when when unit counts and supply counts are a little lower. That I do think that actually offsets it just a little bit. That's personally how I felt. Like if I'm able to get like game changing things done mm -hmm. at like sixty, ninety supply, uh, that's a difference for me. Where I suppose, you know, it really it comes down to me about whether or not how many people play a game actually influences who's going to watch it. You know, and, I, and it kind of actually makes me think about like something like Super Metroid or something like that, where you see hundreds of thousands of people at times tune in to watch Super Metroid being played at the, at the highest level. And I and I, I don't know if that's representative of how people feel about watching games on stream, um, but like League of Legends popularity as an esports stems directly from the fact that there's like 40 million people around the world who play it. Yeah. But I'm not sure that that's a hard and fast rule, um, yeah. because like you know Dota 2 has almost as many probably. Um, around the world and it doesn't have the same numbers generally speaking except for at the at the international so it's really really difficult to say the that player numbers match up one-to-one -one with esports viewer numbers it's very difficult to to figure out and untangle that knot yeah and, and then as you pointed out there there are all those really popular games that have tried to really make it as esports and yet mm -hmm. for some reason like Nobody really cares that much yeah. about about their tournaments, but yeah, I, I think Star, I'm not worried about Legacy of the Void uh, so much, and I think it's a good expansion. Uh, I, I just don't think, I, you know, I, I think it's not going to change opinions. It was a hard game before; oh, maybe no. it's a little harder now, but it doesn't. It's not going to be. It's not going to swing the fortunes of StarCraft one way or the other. Yeah, and, and the bigger problem to me is that even if the game is a whole lot more fun to watch uh, for people who really like StarCraft. It's not going to change anybody's mind, kind of like you said. Like, no one's going to tune into a Legacy of the Void match and say, like, oh, this is totally different from what I understood uh, StarCraft to be. I'm having way more fun watching this. What I'm hopeful about with Legacy of the Void is that it'll be a more enjoyable StarCraft viewing experience that will bring a lot of StarCraft players out of retirement just to watch the game and enjoy watching the game again. People who already know the basics of how the strategic map is played yeah. uh, who will come back to... to 
enjoy the pro scene again. Hopefully, like if we could get like the concurrent viewer numbers back up to like seventy thousand, yeah, then that is a rip roaring scene. If if we can avoid a repeat, if we you know really if we can just if StarCraft can just avoid what we've seen with other iterations of StarCraft, mm-hmm. which is like you know the year of the Broodlord and Fester, yeah, the yeah, year right. of the Swarm Host. If we can avoid anything like that, where the game gets kind of rote and unenjoyable, right? Uh, I think it'll be in a good place. Right. There absolutely needs to be tactical. Yeah. That, I mean, that's StarCraft. That, that, that has to be the case. You cannot sustain a professional scene when everybody knows that two players have one specific strategy that they're going to try to do, and we're just going to see who does it best. Yeah. That is so terrible, and, and that's, that's probably responsible for the huge dip in viewer numbers uh, that we saw over the course of 2013, I believe it was, when things really started to fall apart. Yeah, t- things, uh, toward the end of Wings, you started to see a decline, and then uh, I, I think that decline sort of became locked in. With uh, w- oh, yeah. with Heart of the Swarm, but oh, yeah. the, you know, reasonable people can can disagree about that. I know that uh, you know, Brad, Brad Jolly wrote in at one point to say like, no, Heart of the Swarm was great. <laughs> uh, you know, it was Wings. It was the end of Wings that really hurt StarCraft. But uh, I feel like they were, you know, it was all of a piece. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that concludes the 2015 season of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode and esports in general with our community at Esports Today. Thanks so much for joining us every week and listening to our weekly esports discussions. Uh, it's been terrific fun doing the show and getting to know you, our listeners. Yeah, it's been a blast these past few months, and we'll be back in January with more. Uh, in the meantime, if you have any esports questions, you can shoot them over to us at questions at esports.today. Uh, if you want to get us a Christmas present, you can head over to iTunes and leave a review because it actually really does help us out. Uh, we'll be back next year in mid-January to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off.